What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Almost Familiar. I'm Wes, and as always, I'm hanging out with one of my best friends, Elizabeth, and we have our special guest, Ethan in the house. What up? What's up, Ethan? Who are we talking to today, guys? The one and the only Vincent Antone. And how do we know Vincent Antone these days? Vincent actually did something incredible where he found all the samples to some of the best pre-light songs and mixed it all together into what can only be described as pure love and joy. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think a lot of people, it was kind of their first time hearing him. I know it was for me where I saw the name and I knew he did a live stream on New Year's Eve, which I didn't get to catch. But since this All the Pretty Lights thing came out, I've gotten to go through his music and I am a huge fan of Vincent Antone and getting to talk to him. I became a very big fan of him as a person. I think he is an absolutely wonderful human with one hell of a story. And I was really, really glad to get to hear it from him. Yeah, definitely. And through talking to him, we learned about his other project, Resonant Frequency. And if any of you were at the last Pretty Lights episodic stop, which was in Texas, none of us were at it. Were you at it, Ethan? No, unfortunately I had a bail. Yeah, so we so none of us were at it, but Resonant Frequency actually opened up for, for Pretty Lights at that show, so that was pretty cool. And you can find a lot of live streams and different sets on Vincent Antone's YouTube channel, so definitely check that out, and you can find all the Pretty Lights on YouTube and SoundCloud as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like Ethan said, it is literally 10 minutes of just pure joy and love. It brought back all of these feelings of being at a PL show, which, you know, I know for myself and I assume a lot of you, we are just fucking missing. And it felt so good to have that kind of energy back. And it really opened up a whole dialogue of pretty lights again. You know, the PLF page was buzzing and it was just cool to see everybody so hype about something we all love so much. And if if you've been missing some pretty lights in your life, you have to head over to prettylightslive.com. A good friend of ours and a good friend of the show, Will Guy, a.k.a. the PL Taper, has so many great live shows. For You're listening for free. You can donate some money to help him with the site, but I go to it at least every day. It's been my new gym workout music, so head over to prettylightslive.com if you're looking to listen to some more pretty lights. Yeah, huge shout out. Like, honestly, having that resource is something that, you know, the Pre-Lights fans are really blessed to have. Not other fan bases really get to have that, especially not for free and at the quality we have. So, again, bless up. Yeah, and that's something that I feel like is kind of carried over from the Jam community. Like, it, from what I've seen and what I've observed, like, it's pretty standard for them to record all of their shows and release it on a platform like, I don't know, Bandcamp or Nugs.net. You usually have to pay to subscribe though. And I'm a shitty, I'm a shitty STS9 fan and I don't fucking subscribe. I really should. And I'm sorry, but it's just amazing to see these like free pretty light set. Cause it's really not common in the electronic music community. Like Bass Nectar was such an asshole about it. He was like, don't fucking record my shit, would always take it down. And like, I I mean, I guess people in the house music community like Mark Farina releases a lot of his sets and stuff, but like it's it's really nice to to see and it and it fits with Pretty Lights' brand of just like releasing content for free, like it just all donation based. And that's something we get into on this episode as well. Yeah, so a huge shout out to Will. And like you said, it's so uncommon for our scene, but one of these days, and if you are a Will guy listening to this right now, he will be on this show. He will talk to you about this because it's so fucking cool. It is cool. We're we're super, super grateful, and we would love to have you join us for a conversation. But until then, 
we'd love for you to get familiar with this week's guest, Vincent Antone. And also, we should do some social plugs. We should. Ignore that. Um, (laughs) But Elizabeth, you do the social plugs all the time. I want you to see what I've got up my sleeves right now. So guys, if you're listening and you're on Instagram, you better head over to at almostfamiliarpod. If you like us, give us a follow. We appreciate it. It's great to see you guys interact with us. Slide in our DMs. We're all about it. On Facebook, we are Almost Familiar. And if you ever want to reach us via email, which again, we would absolutely love and encourage, we are almost familiar podcast at gmail.com. Wow, Wes, professional over here. That was so certified. Wow. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the next level, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think now we can get familiar with Bits and Antone now that we've told you guys where to go. But before that, you should probably leave us five stars. I always forget that when you should leave us five stars and you subscribe. But now we're going to do a little segue and we're going to play some of the Pretty Lights tribute, which is called All the Pretty Lights. And then we're going to talk to Vincent. So let's get familiar. Thanks for bearing with us, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Pros. End of the day, it's like, it's not about how you did it. It's about the music, man, and like, I want to talk about how I just love the music. The music, the music. I wanted to, to make records that I could sample that sounded like different eras, like 1940s French soundtracks, 1972 Brazilian garage junkyard funk. I wanted to make records that sounded like 1967 Cleveland basement four-track soul record label records you know i want to do all this stuff and then pull it all together and and, and mix and match it mix and match it have you on especially I, I mean i imagine you might have gotten blown up over the last week or so just lots of outreach Definitely. maybe i don't know yeah that's pretty cool though yeah i know it's been really sweet um a lot of people like sliding into my dms trying to list off all the the song names see if they can catch all of them from the tribute so that's been fun that has been my absolute favorite part about it. I was texting Liz, I think, on Sunday or Saturday, but I literally spent two hours just listening to that and PL, just, like, listening for it. And you stumped me because I can only get 14, and I'm, like, even more annoyed because I know one of them is I Know the Truth. I just can't pick it out. And yeah. I can't like, find that one either. I listened yeah. to it a couple times today, too, and I was like, where the fuck is that one? It's a uh, it's the descending piano part early on. It goes, bam, bam, bam. Oh. And then there's one part where he says, um, what's he say? It's probably the have mercy on me or one of those lines. It's real subtle. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> At a certain point, it's like um, you're trying to, you're like, I want to incorporate a lot, but I don't want to, like, too much still want people to be able to catch it you know but i feel like i was able to make it flow in a decent way so i mean the 
the track itself is about ten and a half minutes, and throughout it, it's twenty four samples and sixteen di- from sixteen different PL tracks. Right. What was it that kind of gave you the inspiration to go for this? And then just the execution, man, is so unbelievably clean. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I've, I've been listening to him for a long time, um, and I kind of feel like I felt for the longest time that his music was kind of like it was taboo to maybe remix him. Not a lot of people do it, you know. I don't know if that's because it seems like it's so untouchable or what. Um, and his music is, you know, um, so vast. Um, but I was literally just sitting in this chair, um, listening to some tunes of his, and I was like, I'm just gonna go like try to dig up some of the samples just to to hear them, you know. I was curious about some of them, and um, and then that turned into like, oh, I wonder if I could, you know, mash some of these together in a way that sounded decent. I didn't plan for it to be what it turned into. Um, it was honestly just more so of a challenge um, to see if I could do it. And then at the end, I was like, oh, this is really clean. Like, I bet it would be well-received by the community. Um, and it has been. I'm super grateful for that. So. Now, did you try to aim for, like, a certain amount of time or, like, a certain amount of samples? Or did, you, did it kind of just happen to be what it turned out to be? It... Um, cause yeah, I guess every few minutes it kind of shifts vibes, um, significantly. I think originally it was like somewhere around six to seven minutes. Um, and then I was like, you know, why not? Let's go for a little more. And, you know, I found some parts that had worked and yeah, I don't know. Uh, before I knew it, it was, it was pretty long and it, it came together easier than I thought it would. The difficulty was in, you know, engineering it, making it sound proper, but as far as like being able to kind of ride a wave that um, allows for that flow of creativity, it was it was easier than I thought it would be, and it was maybe just because his music is so stimulating to me. You know, I've always had such a soft spot for it. You know, and I kind of knew it sounded almost familiar. Let's put it like that. You know, I love uh, that. <laughs> yeah, I I thought about actually using that song, but uh, I just couldn't find anything. Um, usable in it um, you know there's there's places you can go to kind of find some of these samples different websites or playlists that have his stuff kind of listed out or you know the samples used or whatever um, but yeah it just kind of it came together in a way that I was really happy with um, and I, I knew it would translate well but my intention was never for any of this to kind of happen the way it has so I've, I've been really happy about it um, I recently signed with a Mammoth Music Group last year. Um, that's uh, the same people that represent Derek and um, Break Science, Manic Focus, all those people. And I've been a big fan of that style of music for a long time um, since I was, you know, really young. And so I feel like it's a really um, good fit for what I've been trying to do, you know. And so um, I knew somehow it would find its way to him and so I was like being very obsessive about trying to make it sound as clean as I can you know Um, because I figured one way or another somebody was gonna get it to him and so I think it's been well received so now I think one thing that really kind of captured me the most about it was 
it felt in a way kind of like a condensed PL show. I mean, you mentioned it earlier where the vibe significantly changes at moments throughout the same way it does at a PL show. And then, you know, you even sampled Derek interviews, which I thought was really cool. Because then it felt like, you know, we were getting our Derek interaction where in the beginning right. it's all, he's like, hey, I'm here, electro hip hop, you know the deal, what's good? And then in the middle, he's talking about like that 1972, like Brazilian <laughs> junkyard, junkyard punk. Like, just, that's what he's just saying, his goofy shit, and we're all just laughing. And then at the end, it's like his very sweet, just love you so much. Now, you know, obviously it you know and care about the music a lot, but... What does it mean to you to know that, like, Derek is going to hear this? You know, um, I, I was in a project uh, called Resonant Frequency for a long time. We actually got to open for him um, on episode 10, so 2017. Yeah, it was in 2017. I was going to ask yeah, you about here in that. Texas. Yeah, so I, uh, I didn't get the chance to talk to him then. There was one opportunity, but it didn't feel like the time to kind of go bug him about whatever. But, um, we were either sound checking or it was during the set, but I was playing one of my more like um, chill, vibey hip hop tunes. And I just like kind of glanced over and saw him like head nodding kind of off the stage or whatever. And I was like, nice, you know, nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I tend to get really obsessive about um, mixing because I'm self-taught when it comes to this stuff. Um, you know, I play a bunch of instruments and, and taught myself that, but definitely in production I've kind of just learned as I've gone and, because I knew this would eventually find its way to him one way or another, I was like very nervous about it and also very, um, you know, just very obsessive and making sure it sounded, you know, super clean. Um, and I haven't talked to him directly, but the word has gotten back to me that he has heard it and, um, struck a, struck a chord with him and he thought it was dope. So can't ask for much more than that. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Like, congratulations. That's huge. Yeah, That's so too. exciting. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to like blow up his spot like you know it, it came through we have similar people that we work with and stuff but um it, it was well received so happy about that that's epic that's super cool yeah i mean it definitely it definitely does strike a chord that's the feeling i got from it i mean i i certainly get how it does feel like a compressed pretty light set and i do love that the vibe changes every couple minutes but you know i thought it was interesting and definitely appropriate that you marked it as a tribute set or like a tribute rather than a cover set you know because like there have been a few pretty lights cover sets here and there but it but it was a tribute and like not only was it a tribute but it kind of had a narrative like I felt like you told a story it was and I mean pretty lights kind of does that with his music too but I thought there was a story in there and I I really like that element of it I appreciate that yeah um you know there's there's so many um songs and samples to choose from and so for me, it just kind of came from a place of like just the ones I I personally love a lot, you know, that speak to me on a certain level. Um, and then kind of trying to, because, you know, it works its, its way. Like PL music is, I think what he did most importantly, at least for me, the music scene was he kind of disproved the notion that electronic music, you know, like couldn't be human or soulful. You know, he, he was to me what proved that it could be you know and so I think because I come from a jam band background I've been following fish around forever and um, stuff like that you know widespread panic when they come through the south and you tend to get a lot of jaded older folks that are not down with electronic music but almost everyone I know can get down on his stuff because I feel like there's um, emotion there 
you know, he's, like you said, he's telling a story. There's something for everybody in that. And so weaving that all together, you know, when, when I'm working on music, whether it's this or something of my own, it kind of becomes a blur. Like I work in these long nine, 10 hour stretches all night. Like, and then by the time it's done, like the sun's coming up and I'm like half awake. And so like, I can't like, I don't always remember how well it moved together, but I just remember specifically on this one, it was like, it just became very clear the way it was supposed to, to move around. How many of the samples like from Derek's music do you have? That's a good question. I, they're all, I, I purchased all of them. Um, I wasn't like ripping them from YouTube or anything. Um, I obviously couldn't get my hands on the vinyl. I think that is something that he does that, you know, kind of separates his music from most is like the timbre and the texture of vinyl or in particular vinyl samples adds a lot of color, you know, um, to it. But yeah, I had, I, I purchased, um, every single sample, um, off like iTunes. So, I mean, honestly, probably just the ones from the song, uh, or from the tribute rather. So yeah, somewhere between, there was a couple I didn't use, so probably like 30 or something. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. Cause I thought, and maybe that's not the case anymore, but you, people were like still actively trying to find out which samples go to which songs like has the, and maybe someone on here can correct me if I'm wrong, but has all the samples from every single song Derek has released been found? Oh, um, no. Um, there's like different websites. Um, there's one called who sampled. It'll tell you like where it is in the song and like, but it doesn't give you all of them. So like you're lucky to have some at all on certain songs and other ones, not so much, but, um, and then I think there's a few playlists floating around, um, on the internet that have most of his stuff. But yeah, I mean, there was specific ones that I was looking for that when I, uh, you know, went to see if I could find any of the samples, they didn't have them. And I was like, Oh man, like I really wanted to use that here or something, you know, but, um, yeah, there's a, you can at least get a couple and, and granted on some of the songs, there's, um, you know, it's, it might just be like a rap hook. I'm like, you know, hot like sauce. It was like ask around the streets, man, I'm certified. Like that's what I considered to be from that tune versus other ones where it's like old soul records that are like more the music rather than like a, a vocal line or something. So I loved what you said before about how pretty lights kind of, showed you and I think it showed a lot of people that there's substance to electronic music that there's feelings in electronic music and soul to electronic music but I wonder if you could take me back to the moment where you felt that for the first time with Pretty Lights if you remember. Yeah so I can't remember if I had heard his studio work first or if I stumbled on the show first but I had just it's like my senior year of high school I'm 29 so I'll be 30 this year so this is in like 09 um I think my friend might have showed me a couple of his tunes, and I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. I'd never heard um, synthesis or sound design being used that way, you know, because while electronic music had been lurking, you know, and was maybe big in the 90s for kind of trance and techno and whatnot, like, this was a new flavor, and it was the beginning of that wave that we all experienced through the 2010s and onward. Um, But I ended up going to Bonnaroo in 09, it was like the week after my 18th birthday. Drove up there uh, with some friends and stumbled into his set at like 2 a.m. Under he was still in the tent um, at that point, you know, on his come up. Um, I think I think Corey was still drumming with him 
I'm not sure if he still had his glasses and all that. Um, but I remember just being like, wow, like I had heard pieces of this. And while it was very um, powerful to hear the studio work, it was a whole nother thing to see it live, you know? And so at that point, you know, you're young, 18 years old with your friends, you're driving across the country, having those experiences, figuring out what it's all about, you know? And uh, so there was a very special memory, you know, kind of attached to that part of just that youthful, um, reckless abandon of going and, and finding out, you know? And so it was, uh, those were my first Fish shows as well. Um, Fish was playing back to back for two nights there. Overall, a really fun weekend, but yeah, it really stood out to me. Um, and that was kind of what introduced me to that style of electronic music. Um, what I think happened was I, I saw a YouTube video of him playing uh, his monom, that old controller, be the button grids that he was using way back in the day um, when I was young. And he, it was just, he was like mashing up finally moving or something. And I was like, I'm gonna get one of those controllers come to find out that like it's a couple that builds them up in uh, Pennsylvania somewhere and they make like two or three hundred a year and you have to get on a wait list and it's this whole thing and I ended up getting one and uh, that's kind of what started me on this journey of um, figuring out electronic music and finding ways to mix and mash things because I think above all the freedom that electronic music gives you is to take things that might not be conventional that you would think of putting together and then having something fresh on the other side, which is what I think Derek proved very brilliantly. Wow, I love that. Now, I'm wondering for you, when you are going in the process of, you know, making music, what is the first aspect of the tune that you think of? Do you think about the synths? Are you thinking about drums first? Or what do you naturally gravitate yourself towards musically? Um, and we're talking about just generally speaking. Yeah, just general speaking. Yeah, um, so I, like I said, I have this electronic music project. This project's only a year old, um, so it's been fun to really kind of push it. Um, and then I have my jam band background playing in, like, funk bands, um, just straight up, you know, organic instruments and all that. And uh, I think in both instances, um, for me, it's very crucial to try to, you got to, first have that first spark of inspiration and then everything else after that kind of comes from this wave that you are helping build so like you kind of in a lot of instances with electronic music it's like whether you wrote like a little part on the guitar or the keys or if you're sampling and you know you you find this really cool cut and then you're like you get really stoked on it like oh yeah this is perfect you know and then you can start laying on some drums and then that gives you some ideas about a bass line which gives you an idea about what to do with some vocals and as you progress more ideas come to you so that first like spark is very important um, to me because if I don't have that going on early there's no way I would be doing 10-hour production sessions you know I'm, I'm in that because at the time I'm so amped on it so it can be anything um, I go back and forth between uh, having music that's like heavily sampled and electronic music versus something that's created, you know, totally from scratch. And I love doing both. I think the business world of marketing the two has changed as it's a lot harder to, um, you know, upload music that's been sampled to distributors and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think there's just anything that kind of gets you going 
that's uh that's where it's at for me so like you know it can be something real small and then i'll usually go to the drums and then work my way on from there oddly enough the bass work and like synthesis stuff tends to come um later on because that's something i have to take more time with typically you know now with this project only being a year old where do you see yourself going with it because it really does feel like you have a lot of different avenues you could head towards just because there is so much versatility within what you do that that is the question for me um and it's something i've struggled with for a while because i feel like most artists when you go to see them or you're a fan of them unless they are a jam band Usually they have their lane of what it is they, they do and their style, and you come to expect that from them, and that's what it is. It's easy for people to identify, be like, that band, they do this thing, I like it, I don't like it, whatever. Um, for me, I get really, I don't want to say I get bored, but like I really enjoy making a large array of different styles. Um, so yeah, in the electronic world, my, my focus is always kind of been like on future funk or electro soul stuff but you know as let me put it this way the electronic music world reinvents itself more than any other genre you know there's a lot of um fads that come and go um some that stay around um like for for example like i i have a soft spot for for uh, future based music i really do i find it to be very uh powerful and emotional um, whether that's stuff like Odessa or more like um, kind of epic cinematic stuff, like uh, there's a group called Far Out I really enjoy. Um, stuff that wouldn't necessarily maybe fit as well um, into um, like what I did with this song necessarily. And so like I'm trying to cul cultivate a, a fan base that is okay with, um, you know, experimenting and um, kind of knowing that you're going to get a wide array. Because sometimes I'll produce some stuff that's like, even more like four on the floor um, or some really like down tempo, like very chill, you know, so I'm, I'm trying to, I guess, find my um, lane right now or decide if that's something I even want to do. And if it's maybe just something that I want to say, Hey, come at this like you would a jam band where it's like, you can expect a ton of different stuff, you know? So getting more popular in, in, in the uh, electro soul scene, it's like, to, to some of those people I haven't been able to talk to directly, it's like, buckle up. There's there's a bunch of different stuff coming. So, <laughs> And like I said, I think above all, why I really enjoyed this song was like, for me, it was just art for art's sake. And the more that I go down the business avenue of what it is to be a working musician, it's the easier it is to lose that part of what music is supposed to be. And I never really experienced that until recently, like, and I've, you know, been playing, you know, around the country for a while and, you know, decent sized festivals like ACL with my other band and Dallas Cowboy Stadium and, and, and big stuff. But like the being in charge of your own project and having to market it and handle it in a way where you're employing other people, it's like it's just a way easier to um, kind of lose touch with what it is you're actually trying to do and so for me when it comes to like making music I always want to make sure I'm feeling inspired authentic you know all those things because if that's not there then it's like what am I even doing you know so yeah I guess to sum that up it's like I don't want to get bored trying to do 
don't want to be a one-trick pony trying to do the same thing over and over. Um, so some days it might be this, some days it might be that. And sometimes it might not get released at all, and it'll just be something that was fun to do. But, um, yeah, it's been something that I've clearly been thinking about for a while. So <laughs> Now, when you think about playing, like, a live set or even releasing music on an album or whatever, given your proclivity for like wanting to play different styles like how does that impact a live set for you like would you label your set like oh this is like a like a down tempo set this is a lo-fi set blah 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 or like when you release an album like would it be one style or would you have a bunch of different things on one album yeah so that's been uh, ways I've been trying to get creative about how to release music would be um, like I'm working on an EP right now and so the best thing I've come up with is to maybe do series of the main genres that I'm into. That way, the people that are into this specific thing can know by whichever, you know, this EP volume this, that they're going to be getting that style versus, like, I did a... I have a future bass EP coming, too, as well soon. So I'll probably do the same thing there, where it's, like, you know, fans that are fans of the certain thing know where to look, and then that way it's not always just, like, a huge surprise of stuff that's kind of all over the place i want to try to consolidate it a little bit um you know and like i said like things are always changing inspirations are always changing um so it's really hard to say where things are going to be in the future i think kind of staying true to what it is you want to do or at least artistically get out of the work you're doing you stick to that you can't go wrong now when it comes to like playing sets and whatnot it gets kind of tricky because you know, um, I have a lot of respect for the artists that can, like your Emancipators and Tycos, that can fill a room and sell out a venue on music that is real chill. You know, that's a hard thing to do, man, because like you go out to a show, like most of the time people want to get down and have a good time. And not that that music, you know, isn't groovable, but like for the people that have made it in down tempo music, I always have tremendous respect for, you know, so I guess typically the plan with my sets is like first half is like pretty funky and boogie music. And then somewhere around the third quarter, I might shift it into the more reflective down tempo or even future bass tones. And then at the end, it's typically like the real epic stuff. I, I play like guitar in my sets and uh, I have a drummer as well. And it's pretty like shreddy stuff. So like it can, uh, it can really achieve um, some peaks, you know, so that's 10, that tends to be what the formula is, but I think because of the versatility, um, that I'm trying to embrace, I can be put on bills with a lot of different acts and kind of have enough music to fit in where I need to, when I need to kind of thing. I mean, I feel like Pretty Lights is kind of the same way, right? Like you could sure. put him on an electronic music lineup. I mean, shit, you could put him on like a main main stage at fucking like EDC yeah. if you wanted to. Or you could put him on like a tiny ass jam festival and it would fucking work. So like, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I fuck no, with that. I love that. Yeah, it's a, you know, variety is the spice of life, as they say. So, um, and 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 it's it's weird, man. Like when I think about his music, because it is so... Um, you know, vast and, and there's a ton of stuff to it. Like, yeah, there's a bunch of bangers, but then there's the stuff that'll have you in your feels for a week when you hear it, you know, and, um, there's just something about the authenticity to the music that really, um, of course lands with a lot of people. 
and I've I've experienced that just with what I did uh, putting that song out last week, you know. And I think back to my point about trying to do, you know, something that's um, real and artistic. It's like these people that are talking hitting me up, being like, "Yo, I've been having a really tough time, and this really made me feel better," and like, or whatever it is, you know, some, something sweet. And I'm just like, "Yes, I'm glad. Thank you. That makes me feel better." <laughs> you know, uh, about my life. And, and, and I guess, you know, it, it's just so easy to get distracted about all the other noise. So then when you have some moments like that of, of clarity and some real artistic circles that, you know, when it goes around and comes back, you're just like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, that's what this is about. So try to keep the focus on that and keep moving. Yeah. I mean, like you said, if you focus on the quality of the work, you're going to have no problems moving forward. And from what I've heard of you, we, you know, aside from the pretty late tribute, you make some quality stuff, man. I was listening I to the, it. It was a dream track today at the gym mm-hmm. and I was grooving around like a monster. <laughs> I was having such a good time to that tune. The world of color is inside. That's a throwback from a, an older project that I had, um, but yeah, same kind of same kind of thing. And I think that um, stylistically speaks to something I've always kind of known to be true, which is party music. Generally speaking, while it's fun, like bangers or whatever, like it's kind of interchangeable. But something that speaks to you, whether that's you know something that's more mellow or or, or something like that, that rides way further with people. And, like, don't get me wrong, I love making bangers and, and all that stuff, and I always will. But for me, it's always been songs that have... The songs that have lasted on my phone that I still listen to, they have kind of that thing where it's, like, you you feel that, and it doesn't sound just like any other party tune. You know what I'm saying? 100%. Now, you were talking about, like, the soft kind of bangers that PL has... And you put a lot of them in this mix. What is your all-time favorite PL kind of soft banger? I figured this question would be coming. <laughs> I tried to come with an answer. I didn't have one. It changes for me. Um, not to be cliche, but like understand me now has just always been, I mean, it's something as simple as two chords on a piano, you know? And I, I think that's why I led with that tune because and, and that and that also speaks to music in general, which is like um, the cliche is true. Like less is more and, and simplicity is where you'll find the real stuff. And that's why that song um, and those two chords, it's two chords, speaks to me more than almost anything else, you know. Um, but right now, like the other day, I just started listening through the, the catalog and I hadn't for a little while until this project and was just like kind of reminiscing on older times because when I was first getting into it, it was over a decade ago, you know, so. Um, and that piano part in uh, Gazing at the Glare, um, who am I? Boom, boom, boom.
you know, just really, I'd, it, it hit me in a way that I, I'd heard it before plenty of times, but like it just really clicked for me. And so that's a, a favorite I got right now. And it has been cool to find these samples and then see the way in which he had manipulated them um, because it has given me a totally new respect for his work. I always knew he was a legend at what he did, but like actually going in there and trying to like, a lot of it is um, like equalization surgery. Like he's trying to get a vocal out of a chorus of a song that has all the instruments still going, you know, guitars, drums, bass, as one waveform. And he's just trying to get this vocal part out of it. So he's going in there and performing surgery and EQing out everything else, you know, just so you can get this one little part. And I'm sure he has a much more in-depth technique than than whatever I did, but I was like, whoa, man, this is like some serious work, you know? Um, and I was happy that I was able to pull it off. There's a couple of them. There's, and let me pull, let me pull up the name. Um, there's one from Still Night. Um, you can't begin to know all the pain that I feel. That tune, if you go find the uh, original sample, like there's a lot going on in there. Um, there's drums, there's guitar, all, all this stuff. And then also the one where um, the lady's saying, tomorrow's not a promise, out of time. Tomorrow's not a promise. It's like in the middle of like a grooving chorus part. And like he's able to get it down to this one thing that he needs. Um, and it's, it's really crazy. Even that string part that we all know from uh, Understand Me Now. Bum, 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 bum. If you listen to the original song that it comes from, it is so fast when it happens. Like, and the vibe of the song is completely different. It's funk and soul. It's not somber at all. And then I realized that one of the notes in that progression um, is one half step sharper than what it is you hear on the record. So he had to go in and find one, take one of those notes and move it down. Um, to So he's composing a string part by rearranging the notes within, I know it's a bit technical, but um, long story short, it's like there's a lot more applied to it than you think there is. Um, and it was really cool to try and hack that myself. I had, I had heard some, uh, some other stuff from, from some cats that were trying to tell me about it some of the um, procedures or what have you that he has to, to achieve that. And I was like, whoa, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just EQing stuff out. But they were making it, I don't know if there's any truth to this, but they were talking about how he would um, EQ it and then render it down to tape again, EQ it some more, render it down to tape again, and keep doing that um, until he had what he wanted. In essence, doing the same thing, but along the way adding all this texture from analog um, tape you know so I was like oh wow if that's true that's even more involved than I thought it was <laughs> I'd, I'd always had a ton of respect for the, for the work before like I said but this had given me a totally um, new understanding of, of what it is and then even more maybe not more so but like the sound design like you know I basically just have like one part of the song that actually drops into some to some bass work but like there's stuff where I'm listening to him and I'm like, how did you get that synth tone out of nothing? Because, you know, you start with a waveform or white noise or what have you. And next thing you know, you manipulate it into 
what y'all hear on the records, you know, and it's so crazy. Um, I'm assuming he's using analog, lots of analog synths, um, and maybe even modular synths, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's a whole nother. Do you have a song in particular that you're thinking about when you're explaining that? Uh, like sp- specific, uh, sounds or, or from songs? Or yeah. Whatever? Yeah. Um, I'm really, my bread and butter is kind of more the, uh, you would, how you would describe like a womp sound, like something that oscillates and wow, 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 wow. Like a more important than Michael Jordan kind of flair. Right. And so like what a lot of people, when they were guessing the song, they were like, oh, more important than Michael Jordan's on there. And I was like, no, I didn't sample that. I just built a bass that has that same, you know. Oh, no Um, shit. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I guess more to to his credit is like, um, just like a lot of that stuff that you hear, like saw basses. So like. I know the truth, or like um, his Led Zeppelin uh, remix, real heavy. You know what I mean? He's got these really dark, um, kind of like aggro, uh, real tough bass bass sounds. And so that's a that's a that's a side of sound design i'm trying to get better at is like the saws the more kind of like grimy um distorted type sounds but that's a whole nother um you know that's gonna be another thing to maybe try and figure out um because, like, this work with sampling and whatnot is, is it's, its own animal, but then, like, sound design is its own thing, and that's an area where I admittedly want to figure more out. <laughs> is there, I mean, maybe it's Pretty Lights, but are there DJs or producers out there who um, work with sound design in a way that you really admire and that you'd like to emulate? Yeah, I mean, there's... The world of sound design is, is so crazy because, um, you know, the, the possibilities are basically infinite and it's really hard to replicate the same sound twice because um you know without getting too technical about it there's just so much you can do to it um but yeah i would say a lot of the people that i share uh on the management roster with um you know manic focus he's got his kind of uh signature bass wub i don't know if you would call it a wub or something but you know he has a kind of a signature sound that he uses and um it, it was it was interesting because when when dubstep or what have you kind of popped up onto the scene, it was like I think people were very like shocked and surprised by it when it was becoming popular, like 2010, somewhere around there, you know. And then, um, at least for me, it was like okay, the shock had kind of worn off, and I'm like, oh, some of this stuff is just like pretty crazy and like a bit much. And now I'm like, as I'm studying sound design, start to appreciate it more, but like. Um, so down. He's a great uh, synthesis. Um, he's great at sound design. I really like what Marvel Years has been doing lately. He's been uh, kind of finding these really cool um, vibrato bass. He likes to like, or at least recently, what I've what I've been hearing is like more sustain on a sound that'll be like one sound, but it'll be like a really cool sound for a while. It'll be wiggling and stuff. And yeah, I mean, there's plenty. Um, it's it, and it's a it's a fascinating world because there isn't like a right or wrong way to do it per se. 
it's kind of just like it's it's really weird because you're in some instances like heavy bass music you're trying to make something sound something that initially is sounding very aggressive and abrasive you're trying to make that sound clean clean dirty bass sound if that makes sense it's 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 kind of a weird thing that i try to explain which is like there's there's sound engineering like making your track sound nice and polished so that's wild when you hear like a really heavy bass song and you're like oh that's really dirty and grindy but it's well produced and clean in the way that the engineering is is done that's the thing is you're trying to make it um in most instances, you're trying to make it hit pretty hard, but you have to do it in a way that is um, friendly to people's ears because it's really easy to accentuate some frequencies that are harsh and can like straight up harm people if you're you know playing them through a big system and whatnot. So it's like there's a there's obviously a whole science to um, the frequency spectrum and how our bodies perceive sound. Um, so you're trying to maximize. Um, that without hurting people, <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I remember hearing that Bass Nectar, you know, when he was doing his indoor events, had like a team of people that would go to there and figure out, you know, the exact audible and what frequencies they could use to make like this perfect atmosphere without, you know, making heads explode as could so easily happen with a show like that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and that's what, you know, um, having a, a really clutch sound guy is, is, is useful for, cause all rooms are different too, right? Like even in a place like, you know, Red Rocks or something where like the acoustics are probably going to be vastly different than a place that's like, you know, the mission ballroom or, or whatever it is like. Um, so yeah, it's, it's weird. And it's, it's, it's stuff that I've been trying to pay more attention to because um, it, it, I mean, I can get really deep on it, but long story short, it, it can get a, uh, it can get harsh, and people can tell when things aren't um, done in a way that's, you know, clean and enjoyable. Um, like our cell phones, I think they ring at around like three or five thousand. I think it's something like that hertz or whatever. You know, there's certain frequencies, and then obviously we can't hear super super high ones that dogs can, and then even in the low range, like we have a chest cavity. And that allows sub bass to hit us in a certain way because there's an imprint right here. You know, there's a whole world of that kind of stuff. And I'm I'm slowly figuring it out, but it's very interesting to me. Yeah, I know some artists like uh, Atya and, or Ataya, however you pronounce it, they do 432 kilohertz. I'm curious if you have any preferred like frequency that you like to work with. No, I stick to standard tuning usually. Um, is From what I know about the 440 versus 432, um, you know, discussion. It w it could make sense that 432 might be um, more, I guess, harmonious is what they claim. Um, but in my experience, it's like I've had plenty of blissful moments at 440 or standard tuning. Um, so, and then also at that point, it's like you're talking about detuning a note at such a minuscule amount that it really most people probably couldn't perceive it. If, like, if I gave you something at 440 versus something else at 432, I doubt you'd be able to tell the difference realistically. I was curious because you're born and raised in Houston, correct? Austin, Texas. Wasn't Austin. born here. Came here in '93, so I was born in California in '91. Oh, right on. Yeah, so I've been in Texas my whole life. 
So what is the music scene for this kind of stuff like out there? Do you have venues you can play at, or is it mostly like big city, big name kind of venue deals? Um, so Austin in particular um, is pretty eclectic. Um, yeah, there's a few venues. Shout out to my people at Empire. I'm good friends with those cats. Um, and my buddy Steve Sternshine actually was the dude that founded Neva, that um, got oh, wow. 15 billion in funding for independent music venues from the federal government a couple months ago. Yeah, huge shout out to Steve. Yeah, big shout out to that dude. He's putting in work for the, you know, for the people that are that need smaller rooms to play to work their way up. You know, independent promoters and whatnot. But then, yeah, I've done shows for uh, C3. They do uh, ACL and Lollapalooza. They're based out of Austin. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, there's the electronic music scene, or at least the what I would consider to be the more like funky, flavorful, soulful aspect of that. It's dried up a little bit here in recent years. Now there's still you know plenty of house music clubs and and all that going on, but um, yeah, we're we're trying to we're trying to bring it back. I was with my other group, Resonant Frequency, for a long time, and uh, that was kind of our mo it was it was three guys um guitar bass drums bass player out of synth also but everyone had a computer so it was like you know trying to do that hybrid of live electronic music that i initially discovered with sound tribe like way back in the day and that was like my first um experience into something like that where it was like okay all these people are playing instruments and i mean they're really playing them but there's also these elements of electronic music floating around around that. And I was like, oh, wow, like this is to me, they are like one of the perfect blends of the two, you know, because they, they sit right in the middle. Like all of them, they can play their asses off at their instruments, but they also are great producers, too. And then you saw that um, with Pretty Lights Live um, more so where it was like and the analog band is dope also. But uh, Pretty Lights Live, you were seeing the improvisation you know, kind of going off the tracks a little bit more. And so, you know, when you when you see that that's possible and you're young and you're curious, you're like, oh, let me see what I can do with that. And so that's what Resonant Frequency was, essentially. It was, like, um, kind of live electronic. And there was a few other acts in town that were doing similar stuff. Um, but, you know, stuff happens and people have gone their separate ways. And um, some of our old, old friends, they've moved on to... Uh, other spots doing other things but it was uh we're, we're holding it down still down here so <laughs> now in terms of electronic music in austin like what's what's it kind of known for right now the, i guess the electronic music or the scene in general um both either austin always has um there's there's always these you know like gary clark jr is from here um kind of Blues rock has always been a big part. Stevie Ray Vaughan is from here. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah, yeah. And so I, my best friend growing up, um, his dad was Stevie Ray Vaughan's drummer. So, like, yeah, so going over to his house when we were young, his dad's got, like, six Grammys on his table and platinum records everywhere, you know, like, blues royalty, right, you know? And so there, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of that still going on. And then you had, like... You know, and maybe the more like late 2000s kind of saw the indie rock scene a little bit more like the Black Keys were becoming popular. And um, there's a lot of that going on down here. Um, 
but yeah, I'd still say it's probably more centered in um, kind of neo blues, neo soul rock. There's a lot of good funk bands out here, but of course we're right next to Houston. So like third coast rap is always huge around here. UGK zero, all that. So like, that's always been a huge influence in our electronic music is like sampling some of those, you know, late nineties guys. Like I'm a huge UGK fan. So represent, I don't think UGK has come up on our podcast yet, but I'm glad they're coming up now. (laughs) Yeah, man. And for anyone who hasn't listening out there, go listen to them. It's good stuff. Now, are you mostly like an old school hip hop fan? Are you listening to anybody current? You know, for somebody who's like in the DJ world, I'm not digging up music as much as I should. Probably it usually takes a homie or two to like show me some stuff. Um, but yeah, I'd say I, I, if I am listening to hip hop, it's usually um, more some of that older stuff. But you know, I think you're you're seeing elements. You've always seen a ton of elements of the crossover between the electronic world and the hip hop world because it's beat music at its core, right? Mm-hmm. So like whether that's trap or or whatever, like um because you can throw a a hip hop a cappella over most beats, you know, and it'll, it'll sound pretty dope. So um no, I wouldn't say I'm like super hip to what's going on in hip hop right now. Um but I'm always open. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that's a nice thing about hip hop is it just I think instrumentally it works as such a good common denominator for other kinds of music as well. And, you know, with thinking about Texas, the best show I've ever seen but never been to was The Roots. I think they played with the Dallas Orchestra and it was what they called a night of symphonic hip hop. And it's on YouTube for free. And if you haven't checked it out, you absolutely should. But like, whoa. It nice. is one of the most impressive and, like, immersive hip-hop shows I've ever seen. Like, the roots are incredible. You brought up the word neo-magic or, like, neo-blues neo and neo-soul, so yeah, I thought yeah. of them instantly. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's a awesome. really I'll special thing about hip-hop, where it's just such a big part of music and for life. Yeah. I think I think rhythmically um, that's that's been the case. It's, like, one thing that's always kind of tripped me out about humans and music in general is, like, there's like certain rhythms that are inherent to like certain cultures of people in different places. So like, you know, America or uh, Northeast, it's like hip hop, right? Like classic. If you're in Europe, it's four on the floor. You know, if you're in Central America, it's probably like Moombaton. And, you know, you go to Africa, it's tribal rhythms and like, I've always been curious about what that is and if that actually has something to do with like a geographical thing or, you know, if you're closer to the equator, maybe you're more about this than that or whatever it is, you know, and it could not be related to that at all. And it could just be um, cultural, but it's always been interesting to me that you can point to specific rhythms in, in music based on certain areas of the world, you know, and, you know, never mind that there's, you know, we're on a 12 note scale here in Eastern culture and music. It's like thirds or something, you know, but like just the rhythms alone, that's always really tripped me out. I've never thought about it that way. That's interesting. I haven't yeah, either. It's wild. I like the thought about dropping it down low at the equator. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, you go try to play like a hip hop set in a nightclub in Europe. You're probably going to get booted off stage. They want their 
their house music, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, recently I was thinking about, you know, just especially in terms of hip-hop, you know, there was the East Coast and the West Coast for such a long time, and then kind of out of the South, you had Outkast kind of shake up the game and be like, the South's got some noise, too. And I was curious what your thoughts were about Daily Bread, because I feel like he's kind of this scene's version of Outkast at his time, you know, where I feel like so much of it, like, the scene was really established in its ways, and then this dude kind of just, like, came the fuck up, and now, like, he's big. He's huge, I'd say. Yeah. I think he is underrated in in the scene, honestly. Um, You know, I haven't had many opportunities to talk to him, um, but I do enjoy his music. I think he's, you know, adding a lot of flavor. Um, You know, the thing with PL is, like, you could say he, like, kind of invented this genre, right, of this, like, electro soul thing. So now it's like, all right, who's going to kind of, like, carry those torches? And it's like, that kid's definitely on his way when it it comes to that. And even the last year with those... um, bread and breakfast streams he's been doing have been super killer yeah Um, those are some of my favorites yeah and uh you know he's he's hopped on you know 2020 um i know i haven't touched much on much on last year but like there was a lot of um people that and he's one of them and we try to do as well which is just like you know nothing was happening but now there's this like gap to like try to make some moves if you want it and a lot of people that I know and, like, my team and clearly his as well is, like, you know, hopped on it quick and started doing some stuff that was, like, right off the jump. Like, like that's a brilliant idea, not just because of his name or whatever, but, like, you know, his music kind of fits that vibe or whatever. And so, like, same same deal with us last year. is like I got linked up with these guys that are, like, my uh, – I work with a drummer, and then I got two light guys. One of them's like, a primary light dude, and then the other one is uh, – he kind of runs the streams for me, but we did this thing where, like, we immediately started doing streams, but did either of y'all watch the New Year's Eve uh, thing with uh, Manic Science? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if y'all saw our set or whatever, but it was, like, in this – it's in my homie's living room, but, like, you wouldn't have realized it was in someone's house because of his lasers and his big old projector he's got and all these moving heads and LED towers we built. And so – we just like real quickly, we're like, well, what else are we doing? Like, let's try to create something, you know, cool in the meantime. Um, and then that went to its logical conclusion, which was like, he has a green screen capability. And so we turned one of his rooms, one of the walls completely covered in green screen. And then he built a virtual world in Blender, which is this program. So it's like everything in it. It's like, it's they basically superimposed us into like a video game that he made, but really it was like a venue with a crowd and crazy lights or whatever. So it was like really fun to try and, um, you know, create something that is, and you might've seen stuff like that happening with like festivals. I know tomorrow world was doing stuff like that where they were using green screens to put people in these virtual worlds, which is like the next best thing we could do, you know, all things considered. But, um, it was interesting because like, we had pulled it off and, and the streams on YouTube, it's a, you should go check it out. It's on my YouTube channel. Um, but people were like, you know, these festivals were sinking like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into figuring this out. And like four of us figured it out with like next to no budget. So we were like really stoked that we were able to like pull it off. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really hard thing to describe, but for anyone listening, go check it out. It's on my YouTube. It's a stream called the virtual warehouse. 
I mean, that's what I love about this community. And I think it really shined during the pandemic is that like, it's a really creative community. And I think it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about how electronic music constantly reinvents itself. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's because it's so like technologically driven, like both the music depending on the type, but then also the technology that supports it. Like you, I feel like you have to constantly be reinventing it just to, just to keep up. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's become a popular, uh, market, right? So I think, you know, at any given time, 20 year olds are who decide what's cool for, (laughs) for a scene, (laughs) you know, or music or culture in general, you know, and as I'm getting older, I've learned that the hard way, right? I, I catch myself you know, I'm almost 30 being like, oh man, like I'm not really getting what's going on and with this music or whatever. And I'm like, oh no, it's starting. I'm getting old. Like, um, but I think also the beautiful thing, like you said about electronic music and technology is that like the, there's no limit to what you could do now, whether it's going to gain traction in a, in a scene, you know, that's to be determined. But like, I remember for a long time it was dubstep and then it was trap and like, trap has hang, like been able to hang on for a long time and then future bass kind of was born out of trap and like there hasn't been let me put it this way i think there's another thing coming soon because it's been that for a while and you know i feel like something is bound to happen but you know like with most electronic genres there's like a thousand subgenres within them you know and so you just and then also it just speaks to the accessibility of creating music now you know, I talked to my dad. He's a musician, um, not by not by uh, career or anything, but he he plays and he sees what I'm doing and he's like, man, like if I just had the internet when I was your age, like that would make a huge difference. And like before, if you wanted to put music out to the world, like you had to get a record deal, you know, like that's or have a good amount of money to record yourself in the first place. So like when people say, you know, music used to be better back in the day, and it's like while that is a platitude, there is a little bit of truth to it because in order to even have your music heard, you had to be good enough to get signed in the first place. But now a kid who gets a laptop for his birthday at age 16, you know, can blow up by the time he's 20 if he knows what he's doing. So the technology has been condensed in such a way that um, the accessibility is there. And there's pros and cons to that, but one of the pros is that people are pushing the boundaries like we've never seen it before, you know? That's a really fun way to look at it. You know, and earlier you were kind of talking about the shifting that's happening kind of with electronic fans and their willingness to kind of accept this new music. And I was wondering what your thoughts on the matter were like, at least for me, it seems that I know a lot more people that like jam music that got into electronic music than I do electronic music people that get into jam bands. And why do you think there seems to be, like, if there is at all, I could just be very biased, but it just seems to be more often than not the case. That jam fans are more open to electronic than the other way around? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that probably because jam music at its core is something that's exploratory, you know? Like, if you're a fan of jam bands, like, you're not afraid to go on a 20-minute ride with whatever band is playing the jam that's going to take you through three genres anyway, you know? And I think most, um, and not to make any mistake about the jam scene, because they are very critical as well. Oh my God, they're ruthless. Yeah, I know. And so like, I feel, you know, there's, there's some, you know, uh, smaller jam bands that are making their, their push towards the top and they're, and they're really talented. 
And like, I hear people talk shit about it. And I'm like, man, like, and I've been in a couple of jam bands in my day and we were pretty good, but I was like, if we can't hang with that, then like, there's no chance, you know what I mean? And it's because the ones that are, have been doing it forever, whether that's the dead or fish or cheese, like are so good that it's like, where else is there to go? I guess sometimes, you know? Um, but yeah, I would say that that's probably a big part of it. Um, and a lot, I've noticed a lot of what people's music tastes and opinions on music, they have to do with like when they got into something like at a specific time in their life. Like for me, like, like, I don't know how old y'all are, but like, I'm nostalgic for a certain period because one, that music was happening at that time, but that also just was the time that I was like experiencing the world for the first time. You know what I'm saying? And so like, there's certain things that have a special time and place to us. And like, you know, uh, someone made the comment that like in the new year stream, they're like, Oh man, the PLF is aging. Like we're getting older or whatever. And I was like, Oh man, <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. Like, I'm not sure that like, um, you know, I'm not, I hope, I mean, that younger people are going to get into that music the same way that, that we did. And I am seeing it and I think they will because I believe at its core music like pretty lights and stuff like that is timeless. And I am seeing that my younger brother, he's 20 in his early twenties. Um, and he just like texted me the other day, some picture of a PL shirt he got. He was like, check this out, dude. And I was like, yeah, man, go listen to that stuff. It's great. You know? And, and I think he's just also like, you know, excited about what I'm doing and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think, and this is something you hear from a lot of artists, which is like, the goal is to be timeless, right? You know, to be able to span across a few generations. And you see that with like, you know, like, I, I'm a big Chili Peppers fan. That's me. But like, you know, that spans across three generations now of people that, you know, have gotten into that. And so, you know, it's not an easy thing to hack and, and, and the landscape is constantly changing. But um, as far as like electronic fans not being as willing, I think there's still hope. I think that they will eventually because those things lead into each other, one direction or another, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I think that my thoughts on it have been that with a lot of like, you know, more mainstream electronic is there's a lot more payoff. You know, like there's the builds, there's the drops, there's right. some sexy hook that you're going to want to just get real sweaty to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if there's when you get like, especially with the PLL thing, like I know that some people didn't like it as much. But, you know, I'm the same where I come jam back and I was like, oh, my gosh, like exploratory time. Like, hell, yeah. yeah. Like, this Definitely. is perfect. Like, this is the logical next step. Like, of course. Right. Yeah, I think. Um, and And if you have an understanding of what they're doing. It's, it makes it that much more impressive. Oh, I bet. I have no idea what's going on up there, and I'm just standing <laughs> in the crowd like, look at those wizards. <laughs> yeah, I know. Either way, right? And, and so, like, and that's why this uh, particular project of, of working on this tribute has, has revealed that to me. Things that I already knew to be true, which is, like, he deserves the respect he gets, you know, um, and whether people understand what goes into it or not, it's like... Um, Cause, cause at the end of the day, like your average person doesn't know the ins and outs of a lot of how this stuff is made and, and yada, yada to them. It's like, 
I heard some stat a long time ago that was like most people decide whether they like your song or not within the first like seven seconds of hearing it. You know, so that's not a long window. And I think that speaks to um, something we had touched on earlier about people's um, ability to like, or how electronic music is evolving is that the attention spans of, of people are getting shorter and shorter, you know? Um, the ability to kind of suck someone in. And that's why when it's like time to produce a song and like start from an idea, it's like, it's the same thing that gets me excited working on a tune, which is like, I found this little thing or I created this little thing and I'm like, oh sweet, this could be an idea. And then you ride that, you know, into a full song. But then you're also hoping that that same idea is going to grab someone pretty quick if they're just shuffling through some music and be like, what's this, you know? It's like we were saying, it's like because there's so much now, it's like you're never going to get to the bottom of the music pool that exists now. There's just so much of it. And so like by the design, naturally, it's like when you have an overabundance, it's like, yeah, you kind of got to sift through them some shit now, you know, to get to some stuff you're into. Um, it's really crazy. I'm very like... Uh, it's it's weird for me to think about the future of not just music but the the business that surrounds it you know because like if you look at PL's music like he came up in a way that was like downloads were the thing back then like people were illegally downloading music all the time there weren't streaming platforms there was nothing like that like i don't even know i don't know if XM had even been around that long but like he was able to tap into um what he knew people were doing which was like He's like, my music is good, but like people are downloading music, so I'm going to put it up for free. But now it's like, to be heard, it's like you want to be on these streaming platforms, and those come with a lot more um, gatekeepers, you know, to to reach your listeners. And so I've always had this kind of thesis about people that are able to like really pop off. It's not just the music. The music, of course, is a huge part, but there tends to be some sort of cultural like wave going on behind it. And so whether that's the Grateful Dead in the 60s or whatever, you know, they're a really good band, great music, but also they w just had the, you know, social revolution behind them to help kind of push that. And then, you know, PL with inventing this genre, but then also music technology and music business being at the place that it was and that downloads were the thing he was able to utilize that, you know? So the question then becomes like, okay, what's the next, you know, twist and turn or, or cultural change that's going to help someone, you know, help lift them into a spot that is, you know, as big as that. And it's, and it's kind of hard to navigate. And so you always feel like you kind of are trying to be on the cut of, cutting edge of what's going on, you know, and it's tough sometimes, but, you know, that's the biz. That's a really interesting way of putting it. The, just the context of behind how people get big because I, cause I wonder that a lot too, like what it is like about the time that they get big. And one thing that some people have said on this show so far is that within, maybe it's within electronic music specifically, but like a lot of it is word of mouth. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's still, you know, what they say about that kind of stuff is true is like good, good art is going to rise. That's just the way it is. Right. And so like you can, you can dig around on blogs all day or whatever, but like if someone you trust, like a friend who has good taste, is like, check this out, you can't beat that, right? You know, so when people hit me up and they're like, hey, 
um, how can I help? Like, I want to help. I'm like, dude, just show it to your friends. Like, that's it. Like, that's the biggest thing you can do for me. Like, and so I totally agree. And like, I have those people in my life. Cause like I said, I'm not somebody that's like seeking out, um, tunes all the time because I'm typically like working on my own thing. But like, I got some people that are like, yo, check this or check that. And I trust them. And then next thing you know, I'm a fan of whoever it might be. I feel like this is an important PSA just to thank that local friend of yours that sends you hot tunes. We, we love you and we appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, it's been cool, man. The the community specifically around this style of music is always something that I've resonated with. One, because I'm a fan of it. But um, now that I'm like starting to kind of interact with some of these people more and teams and people that I've looked up to for years, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, shout out those squads because it's you know one it's a dream come true for someone like me that has grown up to respect that kind of music you know even like getting signed to mammoth or whatever like that roster to me is like everything that i'm into when it comes to electronic music and the people that are working with me that also work with those people are spectacular you know so big shouts out to those people and like, you know, this thing, this even this song, it's been a week. Um, it's opened up some doors for me that I didn't think were going to. Like, I didn't go into this with the intention of being like, I'm going to put this song out and it's going to like put me on the map, like blah, blah, blah. I knew it was good. I knew it was going to be like well received. But like, you can't force certain things like that. Like, it has to come from a place of trying to organically do something and that's what it was, right? It was a late night idea to see if I could even do it. I wasn't even sure I was going to turn out, you know? And so, like, now I'm, like, working with Greg on some stuff and, you know, just stuff that's, like, never even thought was going was gonna to happen. So, like, everyone's been super welcoming and, and warm. So I'm very grateful. It, it's so strange to me, and it, like, it speaks to, you know, it speaks to his music and, like, what people are, missing right now because like on a, on a certain level I'm like it felt weird because I was like I'm recreating this like in certain parts I was like actually trying to like recreate it as close as I could I might move some like vocal things around here and there but I was like I was you know kind of astounded how well received it was because I'm like is it that different but I'm like yeah I guess it is I'm like throwing like six or seven of them together at the same time or whatever but it's like it's just really i guess the point i'm making is it speaks so much to his music because like like i said like that intro it's like those are the two chords from this one sample used in understand me now but every single person knows that when they hear it that are a fan of that you know and then like i'm i'm a fan of layering um quotes and vocals into instrumentals and, and whatnot um but i found that interview with him talking or whatever and about essentially just the ethos of his music and what it is he was trying to do I was like, oh, my God, this is perfect. Like, it sums it up super well, you know. And so most people are like, oh, man, just, like, hearing him talk about it even. And I was like, wow, like, you know. It reinvigorated my fandom in his music, you know, because I had taken a little bit of time before this, just, like, wasn't listening to it as much. And now I'm just like, I remember why I love it, you know. Would you mind sharing um – where some of those interviews are from. Like, it's cool if you want to keep it kind of secret and obscure. I totally get that. But I, I'm just curious. I'd love to look them up and maybe some of our listeners would too. Yeah. Um, one of them is, I think it's called maybe Rock the Bells. 
Okay, yeah, so this one, the main one from, like, the beginning, uh, it's called Rosenberg Interviews Pretty Lights Backstage at Rock the Bells NYC Press Conference 2013. So if you search Rock the Bells Pretty Lights 2013, um, it says it's on Hot 97. Hope that doesn't get us in trouble. Um, and then the other one was a Bonnaroo interview. Um, yeah, so... Derek Smith of Pretty Lights talks Bonnaroo 2013. And that's the one that has him being like 1972 Brazilian garage junkyard funk <laughs> records. Is that the one where he's holding the mic like an absolute lunatic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where he's got it in between. It's his, like, his yeah, giant hands. <laughs> yeah. I see that one. It's so weird. Yeah, no, it's funny. I was trying to find stuff that like really encapsulated his personality because. Of course, he's a genius, but he's also a goober sometimes, you know? For he's sure. Like, and so, like, that first one, very serious, very uh, reflective about his music. Um, and the second one is just classic Derek we know, you know, kind of joking around, talking about these super niche records that he's trying to find. To, and he was actually talking about making the records through the breaks for a color map. Um, he was like, I'm trying to make records that sound like this that I can resample like I found them in a store or whatever you know um and then <laughs> for the one time at the end that was the toughest one where he was like can I fucking hear y'all one time he uh I went and dug up like uh some PL live sets and had to like go find just listen until he did it which he does it often but like you're looking for one that doesn't have any music under it or like you know is a nice crowd roar in the back or whatever and so like it was just it was just really fun to like dig through the stuff and try to make it work see stuff that does work stuff that doesn't whatever it was a very rewarding experience um for me just as a producer and a fan did you get to hit a lot of the pll shows when they're doing the episodic stuff um no i uh i i only saw episode 10 um Early on, uh, in the early days, I saw a bunch of stuff. I went up to the first Electric Forest in 2011. So I think that's when he was, like, still debuting the Towers, which is, like, you know, I just remember when those still 10 years later or whatever to me is, like, the coolest production rig I've seen, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, I kind of was, like, like, as I'm getting older, I am... I'm happier that it's starting to happen later. Like, I, when I was younger, I was like, man, like, I'm getting too old for this. Like, I don't know if it's going to work out for me or whatever. And, like, now that it's starting to, like, trend in a direction of, you know, doing something, it's like, I'm glad it didn't happen to me when I was, like, 24 because I just wasn't ready for it. You know, like, maturity-wise, like, what it takes to, like, have a team and kind of be the leader of a team and run a business and all that and, like, I was partying real hard. I've been sober for three years now. Um, I got like, I got stuck in a dark place for a long time. Um, and, you know, and for the longest time, like, it's funny I'm talking about it now. I've kind of kept it close to the chest when it comes to like press and whatnot. But the way I see it is like, more as more and more people learn that about me, I figure why not? Because also what ends up happening is like, people reach out, right? They need help um, from whatever that is, substance abuse, substance abuse issues or, or whatever. And 
like, you know, I try to be a hand or an ear for those people that need it, you know, because it's a, it's a problem that's taking a lot of people too soon, you know, taking them out. And so, you know, I'm happy to talk about it now. Uh, I wasn't planning on talking about it, but like, you know, the more and more I think about it, there's, there's, there's value, I think, in being able to help people when they need it. You know, I think my, I think in the back of my head, there's a fear that like, maybe one day I'll slip up and then I'll look like a fool or something. But like, it's so much bigger than that. Like, I almost died, you know, like, cause I was addicted, like addicted, addicted. Um, and so it's been, it'll be four years this summer clean and uh, of everything, 100%. And um, I don't know, it's, to, to my original point, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, do any of this or get get it to a point that in, it's at or where it needs to be if I didn't get my shit together back then. And I'm just, like, super grateful to be where I'm at now and be doing what I would love to do <laughs> with my best friends. It's like you couldn't ask for more, you know. Thank Damn, you, so, Thank much you so, so much for sharing, for sharing man. That. Of course. Like, wow. oh my God. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Thank you. I, I've done a number of interviews and never really made it that, like my, you know, my people around me know or whatever, but the more, with, the more I think about it, the more it's like there's people dying every day from this shit. Well, congratulations, man. Four Thank years you. is, that's really huge. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't wish that darkness on anybody, but unfortunately it's, it's super prevalent, you know, and especially in a scene where it's like, it's young people wanting to have a good time. And like, I'm not anybody's dad or anything, you know, I'm, I'm still in the corner, like fucking finish that drink or whatever, you know, like, yeah. um, cause I want people to have fun, but it's, it's really easy to, for people to kind of miss the mark sometimes. And it's hard for people to keep it between the ditches, you know? And so yeah. like that, that's kind of was my, my point about like, I'm glad it's happening now because there's just no way I would have been able to handle it <laughs> before, you know? Like, I, I guess my fear in talking about it would have been, like, I don't want to be the guy that, like, I don't want to have that, like, married to my project. Like, that, you know, that's not what my music is about. That's me as a person, you know? Like, and that's my life or whatever. But, like, I don't necessarily want that to be, like, the identity attached to the music, like, uh, some recovery dude not that there's anything wrong with that but you know what i'm saying like some things are personal and you know but it's you know the way i see it it's you know it can help more than it can hurt i figure so yeah i mean i think it's really important to talk about because i just found what you said to be kind of ironic in a way because listening to your music i wouldn't assume that at all you know like it's yeah, yeah. it's very high vibrations very positive stuff so then just to know that you know like <laughs> you know, everybody's got these things that we live with and for you to be dealing with it in a very positive and proactive way. Now it's inspirational, man. So like, really thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. I, you know, I think there, there's a huge stigma around this stuff. Um, I don't know why that is. I think, I think a lot of people just probably don't understand it to a certain degree, you know, but I, I, I went to, uh, <sighs> I didn't, I didn't go to rehab. I just, <laughs> I withdrew on my, f 
fucking mom's couch and then went and played a festival like eight days later, uh, float fest in, uh, San Marcos, Texas. It was like Weezer was headlining. It was a big festival, but it was like, I was barely through withdrawals and like feeling good, you know? And then I was going to cook in 102 degree heat and play a set. But then it also just thrust me back into that world immediately. And like, Initially, it was like, is this a good idea? Should I maybe be like taking a break from doing this, you know, music stuff to like give myself a chance to breathe and not be in the party world all the time? But I'm grateful that I went back into it because it forced me to like learn how to exist in that world without falling back, you know, backsliding into, into, you know, bad habits. And so, like, after that, I went to a sober living facility in Austin. Um, and most people stay at these things for like a few months or whatever, but I stayed there for a year. Um, and granted, like, you know, it was my hometown. So it's not like I was like really far away. So but like I built up trust with the people that I lived there with. And so they allowed me to like stay out late playing shows and whatnot. And I stayed there until I felt comfortable enough to like be responsible on, on my own out in that world, um, playing music, living that life without feeling like I'm going to, you know, slip up or whatever so like it's been a really crazy journey um but you know i think ultimately when it comes down to like people's understanding of what it is it's like some people you know it takes a few times like you know they the one day at a time thing is true like i don't know about tomorrow today i'm all right you know what i mean and like and if i do screw up like i'm gonna get back on the horse and and keep going or whatever so like me telling all this now is more so me telling it to myself because I'm like, that is the big fear for me is that like I screw up and then people are like, look, that guy was full of shit. He was like preaching this, that, and the other, and he couldn't even keep it together. But like the reality of the situation is that like people are addicts for life, you know? And so like people need to be more understanding, more empathetic, you know, more respectful of that as a disease because that's what it is, you know? Um, and to, you know, have empathy for other people because I've met so many people in my time kind of getting it together that are, like, better or worse or whatever. And it's, like, you just don't know people's backgrounds and what it is they're going through and what they're trying to work through, you know. So I think, and, you know, it might be a cliche, but just generally speaking, it's, like, the world could use a little more empathy when it comes to, you know, stuff like this, so... Anyway, that's my soapbox. <laughs> now, since you became clean, have you experienced going to a festival? Have you ever tried doing one of those sober camps? Because I know that those have been pretty common ground for a lot of bigger festivals. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like I said, I had to play that one, like, immediately after when I had, like, a week sober. But I will say that I haven't, like, the ones that are tough are the camping ones, right? Because you're there for a weekend, it's lawless. It's like total debauchery. No one's going to tell you what to do. Right. Um, and I've been in a, at a couple since then, but, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and claim that I've like got it all the way together, but I'm at a point now where it's like my life is so much better than it was that it doesn't even like really cross my mind anymore. And you could, you know, you could also say that that's where you need to like keep an eye on it because you don't want to be too, 
you know, you always got to be aware. Self-awareness, it's like the most important thing people can have. Like when your self-awareness goes up about yourself, you know, or, or whatever, any situation, it's like it can only bring good things to you. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to, I've never been anything like that where they have um, sober communities. I know they have that at like fish shows and stuff. Um, but I still very much like to be social and in the scene and at the, at the get down when it's happening just because, you know, I like the energy and it's fun. Um, so, yeah, it, it looks different for different people, you know. My journey through this has been um, unique and, you know, unique to me. But it's not, you know, a, a one-size-fits-all. People need to figure out what it is that works for them. Um, and like I said, I have no problem with anyone doing whatever the hell they want either, you know. It's, it's up to each person, so. Yeah, it's wonderful. I had I had one more one more question for you. I know we've been talking for an hour and a half, so if, if you have to go, feel free. I do not um, have to go. So, <laughs> so at the beginning of the episode, you were talking about how you know you weren't you're kind of hesitant to touch Derek's music. I think a lot of people are to remix it, whatever. But like, this is kind of a question for everyone because cover sets are kind of a norm in the jam scene, right? I right. mean, maybe for bigger artists like Fish, great, like the Grateful Dead for sure, but like at what point do you guys think it becomes appropriate for people to do cover sets? That's a good question. I think the the, the catch with Derek's, Derek's music is um, with electronic music, like you, if you're gonna remix it, since he doesn't have like stems available, like you're gonna have to take his song, like the waveform of it, and bootleg it, and then do something to it. And I think that's what set this song apart from whoever else is touching his stuff. Is that I was like, if I'm gonna do this, I gotta go find the actual original things, and then work them into that. And I think, um, you know, like I said, I haven't talked to him, but like, I imagine that that's he probably respects that because. I don't know what it's like to have somebody remix my song without my permission. Um, but it's not like I can be a hypocrite about it and tell people not to do it or anything like that. And more often than not, people do dope things with your music, but yeah, electronic music, it's weird because to do that, you either have to take their song itself and do something to it or do what I did. And if they're somebody that samples music, you have that Avenue. So I don't know. I, I know he's very particular about his work and whatnot. So um, I haven't seen a ton of other like PL remixes. I see stuff here and there from the PLF or the PLF producers page um, every now and again. But um, the only person I can think that's done something is maybe Vibe Street. He did that one a few years back or whatever. Um, and I didn't listen to it, um, admittedly. Um, so I don't really know what that looked like. I know he did that mashup that Derek did play which is cool. So, yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was at the vibe street PL cover set at electric forest. I think it was like 2015. I think it was Yeah, we were there too. And somehow weren't friends yet. It didn't I cross know, paths. We were close. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like we were probably bopping by super close too, but it was a really cool set. But, you know, again, it's like the thing that I really appreciated about, what you did was like it was just so reminiscent of the music of PL by taking such a similar concept or one that may seem almost familiar and yeah. switching it around like subtly but enough to change like the composition of it but not the feel of it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, where the Vibe Street one was like, oh, fuck, yes, like, this is my PL jam. But then right. so I was like, whoa, like, these are the keys for this? Like, I've never just kind of heard them on their own. Like, oh, right, what are those yeah, Congos yeah. from? Like, damn. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think uh, there's an aesthetic, you know, that we all are familiar with when it comes to that, um, to his stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's very... It's hard to explain. He uh, he has such a ethereal vibe at times. You know, some of the music's a lot more chill, especially the early stuff, like the early, early stuff. Like, there's no bangers to speak of at all. And so, in, like, most of this tribute thing I did was in um, kind of in that vein where it was, like, more just hip-hop, you know, rather than, like, a bunch of crazy sounds and build-ups and drops and all that. And even he doesn't really embrace the build up the build up drop recipe that much like there's definitely bass drops but it's not that equation that we're all familiar with in electronic music where it's like you know or whatever so, <laughs> and that's what i kind of appreciated about his music was that like he is the he is the king of like slipping in something without you really noticing while pulling something else out at the same time, there's just so many things going on, and he's kind of a ninja when it comes to, like, how he's delivering those sounds to you. Like, that there's times it's like, I'm still listening to songs and finding new stuff uh, of his, you know, things that are, like, kind of in there that you really got to be paying attention to here, you know. And so, like, I kind of tried to embrace that a little bit with this. Some of those samples are a lot more subtle, like the My Other Love piano. It's only on one side, during the uh, out of time kind of mashup thing, and it's you know just a little bit here and there. I and got so, like, that one. Yeah, it was really cool. I didn't know it was in there until right now. That's so cool. I'm gonna go back and listen to it. I love <laughs> yeah, my other <yeah>. love. <laughs> Check the left the left speaker during the second half of the out of time section, um, which would be I guess like the third quarter of it. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm very surprised at the fans. Um, there was a few I thought I'd stump people on that got him immediately. Like a bunch of people got the make me feel or make you feel sample way quicker than I thought. And like, that was a tune I was a little less familiar with. Um, but I found something that worked or whatever. And then what's funny is a lot of people got hung up on the, I know the truth. And it's like, it said it in the article. So like there were some people yeah. that were like hitting me up being like, what is it? And then when they figured it out, I was like, dude, they listed it in the blog post. <laughs> like it's there. Um, you know, but I was very impressed with, people's ability and then for those who don't know um that ending section that doesn't really have a place in any of his songs um is just the still rocking sample um continued so hmm. like the very like making love by the sunset burner yeah you know that's not any of his songs right and so like the section before that is the still rock and break and that comes from the same song and I just like listened through and I was like, oh, that's a nice little jam. Like I can culminate everything with this. So I like let it play out and then layered as many of the vocal samples on top of it at the end as I could and then let it ride out. So, but yeah, I'm very impressed with the uh, people's ability to pick shit up. <laughs> and everyone's been so kind, you know, um, not to like say anything negative on the on the group or whatever, but like somebody else was talking to me and they were like, this is the first time I've seen the group like really united behind something in a long time. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Because like 
and I've been in the group for a long time. I've seen people bicker here and there or whatever, but it's like someone pointed that out to me and I was like, Oh wow. Like, yeah, that's, I, that's awesome. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It was like the first time seeing a post and they're getting more than like 300 likes. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that shit. Like the fam's on board. <laughs> yeah. You know, and someone else was talking to me and they were like, man, like you really took a risk with that. And I was like, wow. I, I mean, like I didn't really see it that way. But maybe in hindsight, because I do know that the the fans are, you know, fickle and um, can be critical of stuff, as they should be. Um, but, yeah, I think by the time I had it finished, I was like, I, I, I played it or a slightly earlier version of it on the New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Eve stream. And I got a good reception. And so, like, I knew it was going to going to play well, but, like, I very well could have fell on my face with this thing, you know if I didn't do it right or whatever, but, um, I don't know things, uh, when things are, are good and going well, they tend to be, I don't want to say effortless because I put a lot of effort into it, but things work themselves out in a way that are, you know, in a way you can't necessarily foresee. Right. And we've all experienced this in our lives with different things. It's like serendipitous. That's a good word for it. (laughs) One thing I wanted to ask you is if you have any like resources that you would recommend for people to learn more about addiction, because I feel like even I personally don't understand it super well. So if I and I try to be as compassionate and and I'm sure I could be more. But like if I really wanted to learn about it, do you have any good resources, whether it's a book or a podcast or something? Pick up the big book. That's what I would say. Um, That's, uh, you know, I I would say to the people who are struggling, go to a meeting. Um, those, those are for real. The, the, the thing that'll, that'll get you out of it. I, uh, I've gone to plenty of my life. My family's been in AA and NA and all that stuff for decades. Um, so I come from a family of that, but like, um, I won't like claim to be like an AA big book thumper guy these days. I'm not going to like a ton of meetings, but I also feel like I got a good grip on what's going on. But like for the person that's struggling, Go find a meeting. There's apps on, uh, you know, iPhone or Android that'll um, tell you where they are in your town at what time. And there's more than you think. And I think also the community is very welcoming. You know, it's it's like a it's a bunch of misfits, but but they're all, you know, the way I see it is like, you know, bad things. You know, suffering all that is just part of, of the human condition. But like, if you're able to take that into a direction of growth, you know, and, and, and kindness and not let it turn you into someone bitter because it's so easy. Life is, life is tough, you know, and it's really easy to let the things in our lives wear us down and, and, and turn us into bitter, resentful, malevolent people, you know? And so like, all the people that I know that I have like a lot of respect for that are um, people I look up to, they all had rough backgrounds and they were able to turn that around into something that was, you know, something more beautiful than that. And I think there's something to be said about that because like, you know, for me, like the peaks and the, and the valleys, you know, it's like I experience it more like this. So the highs are even more high, but the lows are even more low, you know, and and it's easy for people to get 
down there, but uh, hit me up. Hit me up, straight up. Um, my inbox is full of strangers anyway, as it is right now, and it's been great to co you know connect with those people, but there's more of us out there than you think, um, you know, and it's an ongoing thing, and it's something that people desperately need to address, particularly the opioid crisis, you know, um, but yeah, I wish I had more like offhand, but like what I know that works is the 12 steps straight up. I worked them. It worked for me. It's worked for everybody I've known that has taken it seriously, you know, so there's strength in numbers in community, man. And I know y'all know that. So, so I have a taboo question and feel free not to answer, but I, you know, I have a lot of friends, unfortunately, um, who have had problems with opiates, uh, upstate New York is, you know, riddled with it. Um, couple people that have come back they've done AA and one thing I've learned is that the founder of AA actually says it's okay to take psychedelics uh, um, Bill or I've heard this before as well um, I don't know uh, if that's accurate or not and even if it, if it is to me personally like I treated psychedelics as something that was able to recharge me in a way um, that the other things were not like I was addicted to pills and was doing heroin and fentanyl, you know, and, until, you know, I was about to be game over. Right. Um, and I know there are properties of psychedelics that are useful. Now, if it's something like, I'm not going to get up here and say that, like, that's the answer to your problems because, Nine times out of ten, the fact of the matter is, is that if you are developing an issue, it's to mask an underlying issue. Now, the reason that psychedelics could work as a way to help treat that is because what do they make you do? They make you reflect, right, and look inwards, and there's value in that. I would say that, yes, it can be done, but I would also challenge people to address those feelings um, and address those problems head on. And that's just my two cents. Um, but like I said, like, it's different for everybody, you know. So, like, I come from a, <laughs> I come from an AA background, and so my mom would probably shoot me if I was, like, here saying take LSD to solve your Coke problem or whatever the fuck. <laughs> but um, I do recognize the benefits of um, taking psychedelics because I've done plenty myself. Um, so, you know, like I said, you know, it's different for everybody, but everybody knows deep down where we come up short as humans. Some of us choose not to look at it. You know, some of us do. And that's that self-awareness thing I was talking about. We all know where we come up short. And, you know, God knows that things are difficult for a lot of people. And God knows that I, would <laughs> I wouldn't blame people for turning to the things that they do to avoid some of that pain. You know, but I think with a lot of this stuff comes a ton of, you know, soul searching and honesty and getting real with yourself about what it is you're trying to accomplish or what it is you need to change. So that's what I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing that you kind of mentioned is, you know, it's one thing to know there's a problem, which psychedelics do help. You know, I'm actually reading a book right now called Spirituality and Psychedelics. And in that, you know, the common thing that comes up is like, yeah, no matter what you're using, if it's bringing up stuff, like it's great, but you can't just continue to use without putting in the actual work. You know, it's 
kind of like going to therapy and like staying with therapy there's active stuff you got to do to get yourself in that good space just to focus on the quality so it's it's really cool to hear how well you seem to be doing and i'm just really stoked yeah thanks i think uh just to touch on that you know uh one last bit it's like those things that we learn um through life experience or psychedelics or whatever it is like you can get to that place without it Mm -hmm. it is a shortcut yeah and it'll and it'll give you some profound realizations like i i know firsthand you know i i I did that plenty um but i i would be remiss if i didn't mention that it is accessible through the things that you know you had previously mentioned yeah absolutely that's really great that you do bring it up yeah totally man yeah because that's the other part of the book it's like you know a lot of the people that have not issues with it but the religious are like you know this is something that you can achieve just through like meditation with the buddhists is their big thing you know it's like I think they live this way of Zen that, like, you know, psychedelics gives a pseudo impression of, but it's an, a practice, just like anything. You got to put a lot of effort into it to become part of it. Absolutely. There's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, because, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, like, there's, there's always going to be aspects of life that, like, need improvement. Like, there's, there's still stuff in my life I got to work on, and, like, that's an ongoing thing, right? We're all trying to strive to hopefully be the best versions of ourselves that we can be but we're only human, right? It's kind of the catch 22. And, you know, if you want to get real deep on it, it's like, maybe that's the reason we're here in the first place is to, cause we know life is suffering, right? Well, maybe it's to experience that, use it and come out on top. That is deep as fuck. Fuck Amen. yeah, man. That's what's up. <laughs> Life's deep, right? <laughs> I love that look at it. Yeah. Not to completely like change the, uh, conversation because you're just speaking really deep but i feel like at some point even if it's not now i gotta know what's your favorite pretty light song and album oh <laughs> yeah yeah um i think i wrote it down the other day because someone else asked me um if i was to be going for a kind of more banger mood uh of course understand me now is a, a good one i like um still night when it comes to like just that dark wubby you know pl pl vibe that i was because to me like a sine wave womp like like that song is like the best um you know iteration of that kind of that kind of vibe um here i wrote it down because my little brother shout out to christian was like what's your favorite and i was like man it changes all the time but yeah so i wrote understand me now drift away my other love, that's a that's a special one to me. Um, you know, I feel like uh, City Skies double album, like that's kind of like pre banger. Okay, so like the trio EPs to me is like peak PL time. Like those three EPs, I was like a freshman in college when they came out. He just like slapped us back to back to back. Oh, you were there like, for like the peak of party PL. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I was listening to some of the stuff before that, but some of the stuff from, uh, you know, uh, filling up the city skies, that double e- or double album speaks to me a lot. And then, of course, a few select ones from uh, Behind Your Eyes. But um, Let the World Hurry By is one I really mm. enjoy. The piano I was trying to find because um, I use that guitar part in this tribute or whatever. Um, and I was trying to find... Um, the piano, that piano roll, it's like, it's so nice. And like, 
you know, if I ever get to talk to him, I'll probably ask him and be like, hey, where'd the piano from Let the World Hurry By come from? And the piano from uh, Gazing at the Glare. And then uh, I also had uh, Ask Your Friends. I'm a big fan of that one. Oh, nice. That's a classic banger. Yeah. That's a good range. But what I do want to talk about, I've got this squad of dudes around me that are so awesome. And like, I'm just have been learning the value of a good team. Um, and part of that is Mammoth, you know, big shout outs to Phil Giacomo. He's my dude. He's, he answers me any time of the day. He's got my back. Love that dude. Um, the other Phil and Mammoth, but I've got these guys be remiss if I didn't mention them. Casey Byers, my light dude, um, Steve Sullivan, the Renaissance man who like handles all of our streams. And then in the live setting, Jose Gutierrez, my drummer, he is a fucking machine. He was on the uh, the Dallas Mavs drum line, the Dallas Cowboys drum line. So he's like real deal, uh, bad to the bone drummer. And so I always try to make a, uh, a you know an effort to shout out my people because um, it's not just me. And most people would be surprised at how much people behind the scenes make things happen. Like a prime example of this is I went to Wakarusa many years. I don't know if either any of y'all made it to that festival. Love Wakarusa. I went there. Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a years bummer ago. that it yeah, I know. faded away. Big rip. But, but. Um, it was a uh, it was on my birthday every year. So I turned 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and 24 there. And the last year, my other band got to play it, um, like legitimately, and I got to see it from the inside out. Um, and this was one of my first like experiences, like at a big festival from the inside. Cause I'd played at many festivals before, but like I can, comp- I so underestimated how much work it takes to, to pull these kind of things off. Like I saw PL there in like 2011, 10 or 11, whenever he headlined it. And like, I think one of the speaker sides went out briefly. And, and like, I remember at that time I was like 20 and I was like, what the fuck? Like, nah, whatever. And then, you know, fast forward to like being there and being like, Oh my God, like these things are such an operation. So whether that's, you know, music festivals, artists, promoters, like people need to remember to thank those people as well, because like this stuff, it seems like it goes off without a hitch, but it's like, most of those cats haven't slept in a week and are like, you know, underpaid and doing way a lot of work. So anyway. <laughs> gang, gang, big shout out to all the people in the music industry, especially now while we're all still kind of hurting. Yeah, I'm hoping it bounces back. I'm optimistic. I am, too, yeah. for the scene. I think it's going to be for the venues that are still around, at least. I think they'll be busy and full of life. At least that's my optimistic yeah. view on it. Well. People are, people are uh, adaptive, right? Like, I think that's part of what breeds greatness is like people are having to deal with whatever it is and then figuring out ways around it. And you're seeing that in music, you're seeing it all over the place. So it's like, you know, I try to look at challenges as exactly that, something to, something to overcome. And so I'm, I'm very happy with my squad this past year because like, I started this project the month COVID was discovered. It was like November of 19, right? And then so like in the past year, we just grinded, grinded, grinded. And while most people were like, man, fuck this year, I was like, it's been great. And like 
yes, fuck 2020 for sure, generally speaking. But like, my point is like, it's, you know, for, for those who want to grind, you can get it done, you know? Well, man, I don't know if I have anything else, but I did. I just want to say thank you for taking the time to come on here. It was just such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, so nice to meet y'all. Thank you for having me. Uh, like I said, the PLF has been so, so kind to me. So Yeah, I'm sure someday we'll all get to meet up in person. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping so, man. I wasn't planning on fucking airing out my life, but there you go. <laughs> How do you feel doing it now? <laughs> I feel good about it. I knew sooner or later it was going to be a thing. I've had people around me being like, why don't you talk about it? And I'm like, I just don't want to be that guy to everybody all the time. Yeah, it's important work you're doing. It's, you know, it, it's harm reduction, right? Like in a way, Absolutely. like it's, and that's a super important thing for our community. Like I'm passionate about that as well. Like it's nice. So yeah. it's, I'm glad you're doing it. Well, I appreciate it, y'all. That water chicken. No, Ethan just has an entire tea bag in his mouth. <laughs> oh. It's a THC tea bag, so I'm trying to get every last drop. You feel All me? right, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. He just like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Uh. <laughs> well, there's something I wanted to share with you guys. I came across this really interesting video randomly. I wasn't even looking for it. And it really helped me kind of ground our conversation with Vincent. And it gave me just another kind of like the resource that I was looking for and asking for, for how to kind of educate myself more about addiction. And it's this video by this, I don't know what you would call them. I guess they're like a content creation brand. They're called After School, school with a K. And it's this video called How Childhood Trauma Leads to Addiction. And it features what I imagine is an excerpt from um, this author and doctor and speaker, um, Gabor Mate, who um, is an expert about addiction. And it really just helped me contextualize many different events from my life. Yeah, no doubt. And I was really thankful you sent that to me because I remember I also watched it. In the video, there was a line that really resonated with me. And it's when he said that the loss of self is the essence of trauma. And for me, it was just this fucking like, shit. Like, holy shit, because, you know, for me, I had a, a really tough go with substances and alcohol, and I was just drinking and doing drugs literally just to not feel, you know, that was just my go-to thing. And then I thought about even more to, like, being as a kid, you know, where I was an adrenaline junkie. I loved doing things where I wasn't, like, thinking with my brain. I loved just focusing on the concept of not dying, you know, just because I wanted to keep my brain so removed. And... Lately, I feel like I've really come into myself and I'm realizing who I am. And I mean, you guys know because we're super tight homies, but like I quit my stupid shitty job. I'm like starting a new job and making good life moves. And it feels like I'm finding myself again and kind of letting this trauma just get lifted out of me. And I feel that, uh, yeah, I'm just finding myself and kind of letting that trauma go. But 
it was just a really powerful video. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for sending it to me. I've sent it to at least like five people in my life because I'm like, hey, like this will probably resonate with you too. So if you guys are listening, and even if, like you said, if you just want to learn about the resource to understand people that are going through stuff that maybe you haven't gone through, that video is an excellent starting point. Yeah, and it really reflected something that Vincent mentioned in the episode. Um, And seriously, thank you so much to him for being so open and vulnerable Mm -hmm. and honest about his his struggles. And I'm, I'm grateful that we're and hopeful that we're curating a platform where people feel like they can share these stories. Cause I think it just really humanizes this world and our community. But in the episode, he mentions that addiction usually is masking a larger problem. And even though I haven't experienced addiction in the way that he has, I have also, you know, I used to have a major problem with substance abuse with alcohol as well. And um, I was I was using it to mask to mask another major problem. So it, it really just helped me connect that dot and kind of understand that part of my life a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, that video really is pretty interesting for me just because in, in my life, I feel like I'm the type of person that would rather lose their sense of authenticity and kind of deal with it. And in terms of actual addiction, I find myself knowing that, you know, once I try something, I really want to keep doing it. And I have to really kind of look at myself, look at other people, remember what has happened to other people to kind of stop myself. Plus, I'm lucky to have Elizabeth here. So, you know, if we take acid one night and then the next morning I wake up saying, hey, let's just trip again. You know, luckily I have Elizabeth being like, come on, like, let's not do that. And I'm like, all right, fine. And then, you know, within a couple hours, I eventually get over it. But I think the reason why, and, you know, please, you know, watch the video. I feel that way. And a lot of people feel that way is because everyone's missing something. You know, and just feeling like that pure ecstatic joy, which honestly is is what I felt from listening to, you know, Vincent's new song, um, you know, All the Pretty Lights. Because when I heard that, it was like getting this big warm hug and like feeling pretty lights, which to me is like one of the biggest distractions in my life. You know, I just focus on pretty lights. Mm -hmm. Some might say too much. You know, I I literally pair my identity with it. And I think that pretty lights and like live music in general helps people reconnect with the authenticity that they might have lost in childhood. And I think that's come up a lot on this podcast in various ways. It came up on No Simple Road. I remember it coming up when we talked to Captain, um, AKA Steven, and you really just feel like your most authentic self. Like you feel like the most you at a Pretty Lights show for us. It might be something different for you, but like being able to reconnect with that authenticity is so healing in a way that I didn't even realize until I watched this video. Yeah, and I think just the, the one of the most important things about the video, and again, why I'm so grateful my friendship with you two is it's really nice to have this dialogue. It's really, I think, important for us as a society and as a people to really understand each other and just, you know, if things aren't okay, that's okay. You know, a lot of us have a lot of shit that we've been through and we're still working through actively. You know, we're in our fucking late 20s. You know, we're not there yet. We're getting there, but we're not, so... You know, if anyone out there is struggling, uh, just know you're not alone. You can always reach out to us, and there's lots of resources out there. We'd be happy to kind of share with you what we've found ourselves. But, uh, you know, we're, we're taking, our, taking our best steps forward here. Yeah, it really, when you, when you said that, it makes me think of that hook from One Day They'll Know. That's like, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And I feel like we all kind of, I mean, at least I did for so long. Like, you just keep it to yourself because, like, 
you know, of course I can't understand the trauma that you've gone through, Wes, or that Ethan's gone through, and you guys can't understand the trauma that I've gone through. But I think what's really important to recognize and why this dialogue is so important is that like we're all united in having experienced Mm -hmm. these traumas and these troubles, even if they're all fundamentally different. But the fact that we've all experienced something is like a really deep and powerful way to connect with people. And I think is why this music like resonates with so many people and the way that we've just discovered through so many conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other part of that video that really resonated with me was like the recovery of self, because that's something that I've, that I'm experiencing right now through all of like the amazing resources that I found in the Bay area through, through therapy mostly. And what really clicked for me is that I feel like because I recover, I've, I'm experiencing this recovery of self out here in the Bay Area, I almost have this like attachment. I mean, I know I have this attachment to the Bay Area and it's like, I, I don't want to leave. And it's like this looming, I mean, we'll bring you into our personal lives here a little bit. Like it's like this looming conversation between me and Ethan um, about like, you know, that it's inevitable. Like we're going to have to leave the Bay Area because like for a variety of reasons, like wanting to be closer to family and friends and also like we can't fucking afford it um but like i i just feel this like profound sense of like belonging and attachment here and i think it's mostly because i'm experiencing this like recovery of self and i'm afraid to lose it that's what i'm afraid of i talked about this in my therapy this session this week i'm a psycho and i made my therapist watch this video and i spent the entire session talking to her about it but like i'm just afraid to lose this like integration that I've experienced and like this in this inspiration that I found because I think this recovery of self like is also what allowed me to like move forward with this podcast because like I wouldn't have done this a couple years ago and like Mm -hmm. doing this with with you guys has really helped me find myself again and like just be more like it makes me feel like myself a little bit more so I'm just I don't know I'm afraid to lose that and I know it probably doesn't make sense but that's just like what I'm experiencing right now No, it makes all the sense in the world. And, you know, I myself, to bring everyone into my personal life, recently I had started thinking about an ex of mine, you know, like she just popped up in dreams and not necessarily in a sexual way, just she was there and on my brain. And I didn't understand why, because she brought me into the jam scene, you know, and she's like the reason that I started going to live music and found that love for live music. But outside of that you know the end of our relationship was incredibly toxic you know like it was just a very bad situation where she was not good for me I was not good for her but it just blew up and up and up and just fucking craziness so I just didn't get why I was thinking about this person and then Elizabeth you had told me what you just said and I realized like oh fuck like it's not even about this person it was about the time of my life when I found this music community because that was the first time I found myself if you listen to our no simple road episode um you'd know that 2020 was not a good year for me you know I got out of a very loving relationship with someone who I admired deeply I just kind of realized I didn't have the the romantic love anymore which was a weird feeling you know and I had lost my job and I was working a job I hated at Texas Roadhouse because I had to pay bills and And then it was about November, I think, which is already a tough time of year for me just because November's the month my dad passed away. And every year I'm like, you know, not this year. We won't get the annual sadness. We'll be okay. 
only to have my grandma, who was my dad's mom, pass away early November, which just, I don't even know if kicking me while I'm down is accurate, because it was just like I got the shit beat out of me when I was already down, you know? I felt like life was curb stomping me. I went from being completely comfortable and safe to just not knowing what the fuck I was going to do, and I felt so lost, and, you know, like you said, in doing this podcast, I have realized, like, you know, what I am passionate about. It's this music, it's this community, it's this feeling, and I've been just coming more into myself, and then lately the universe is just kind of giving it back, you know, where I got a new great job, and I'm really excited to be starting it this week. I've strengthened my friendships with you and Ethan. It's so great talking to you guys so frequently, and I'm just fucking so happy, you know, like, we're turning the corner, and all it takes is just putting in the effort to do stuff that you really give a shit about. And that's it, you know? So just, it was a really great video. I can't praise it enough, and I'm really, really glad to have watched it because it really has forced me to kind of sit down and look at things going on in my life and make some sense of it. Well, I mean, we've talked about this video for so long that we'll definitely link it in the show notes for you guys. Um, They have a whole series of videos. I haven't even watched the rest of them. I've just watched this one like five times, so (laughs) I can't stop. But uh, we'll link it in the show notes for you guys. But, you know, to end on a slightly different note, but obviously related because we did spend like an hour and a half talking to Vincent. He is going to be releasing a new EP this spring. And so we thought we would end the episode with an unreleased track of his. So keep your eye out for this new EP this spring. And once again, if you guys like what we're doing, make sure you're following us on our socials. We're at Almost Familiar Pod on Instagram, Almost Familiar on Facebook. And if you want to reach out to us via email, we are almostfamiliarpodcast at gmail.com. And I think even more importantly than any of those things, if you like this podcast and have homies that you think would, fucking tell them. Say, hey, Here's a podcast for you. It doesn't suck. It's pretty cool. I think you dig it. And we would dig that and we dig you. Yeah. And because like that's how what I've learned from from this podcast is that this music spreads through word of mouth. And I hope that our podcast kind of spreads the same way. It wouldn't surprise me within this community. But I I think telling your friends is and I think Vincent literally says this on the episode, like telling your friends is like the best thing that you can do for us. So so thank you for saying that, Wes. That's super that's super important. And so now we'll leave you with a new track from Vincent's upcoming EP. Much love to you. We'll see you at the next episode. Almost familiar. Mm